Hello, Bill. Good morning, Matt. Welcome to the DMZ, everybody. Uh, I'm a little, I'm a little bleary-eyed, Matt. I did a did a couple all-nighters on a column, so apologies for incoherence. I really just that should be a standard disclaimer on every show at this point. Uh, I have no good excuse for also being exhausted, but I am. So we'll uh, we'll make the best of it. Did you have a good uh, Labor Day uh, respite? I did. I did. We did that thing I told you we were going to do. It's called Swimply. Yeah. And it was fabulous. And so I recommend it. Uh, check it out. If you you can rent a swimming pool by the hour. So we rented two hours. Um, and. It's. I mean, it was like 100 degrees, so it was great. We took the kids uh, in Leesburg, Virginia, and then went out to uh, – we actually went out, Bill. We didn't barbecue. <laughs> we went out after the pool yeah. for a bite. So it was – you know, you got kids. You got you got to keep them busy. What did you guys do? Well, we moved. Oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, we busy. We literally moved next door, uh, and soon I'll get my mother into – my old house. Um, that's the musical chairs that we're currently doing. So we had some weird friends come over on the Saturday, helped us move the lighter stuff. Professionals come in on Sunday with the heavy stuff and try to get the place organized. So it's still a little bare around here, but um, we're, we're not cluttered the way we were before. So it's a bit of a clean slate moment for the family. Well, it's good. Actually, that can be very cathartic and uh, and helpful for decluttering and rethinking. And I do hope, though, Bill, that we will get some political uh, paraphernalia hanging behind you at some point. Well, the thing is, actually, this this is my office. I didn't have an office. I was always working out of my dining room. So this is this is my office. I, I believe mostly. I'm sure. I, I'm, I'm sure other people's stuff will worm the way in here. But I do have some space on the walls, for, at least for. A couple of posters. Um, I mean, I, I have more paraphernalia than I have space, <laughs> but I hope I'll get something up there relatively soon. Well, like I said, I think moving can be very healthy and uh, force you to rethink a lot of stuff. So congrats on the move, even though it was just across the street. Mm. Um, but it's still actually, it's kind of perfect. So, uh, you know, keep us posted on that. Bill, what do you, have you had a chance to pay attention at all to politics this week? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's getting harder for me. And this is maybe another topic to talk about right now. I, I just find Twitter slash X not being as useful to me lately. And I, and I don't know if it's because people have left X and there's less content there for me to react to. Or if it's just been a slow summer time, and the campaign itself is not uh, that dramatic because we're just headed towards a Trump-Biden rematch, no matter how much huffing and puffing there is, and therefore there's not too much to say. I'm not sure which it is yet. Now that we're at, now that we're out of Labor Day, I think I'm gonna I will find out. If there's more to talk about, but I know I think I, I think that's part of it. I really do. Um, last week we kind of like, well, what are we going to talk about? You know. Um, it's been slow, and I think for the reasons you you laid out. And then I think the other thing is like kind of the death of outrage. I mean, I went through all the stuff that's going on with Republicans this just in the past week. You know, Sarah Palin talking about you know the Proud Boys uh, and saying something to the effect of you know if the good guys can't survive in this environment. This is something I'm paraphrasing. Like, mm -hmm. you know, Mike Huckabee saying that this could be the last election decided at the ballot box instead of with bullets or something. Again, paraphrasing. Ron DeSantis uh, suggesting he would pardon some of the nonviolent January Sixers uh, who have been over prosecuted or, or, or whatever. Uh, Scott Walker um, saying, I think he wants to impeach this judge out in Wisconsin. I mean, there's Ken Paxton, the attorney general in Texas on trial for impeachment. So there's a lot of weird Republican things, but I just think we're so inured to that now. So I, I don't think so those stories, I don't think drive the news or the popular imagination the way they, they once did, just because we're so used to it. It's no longer uh, shocking anymore. Well, also just, just for my own selfish needs, I mean, I think a lot of people write about uh, 
what crazy things Mike Huckabee says or Vivek says or what have you in regards to January 6th. There are plenty of people pouring over the various legal cases. There's lots of legal analysis out there yeah. right now. I, I just don't do I – don't, I don't do the legal analysis. Um, I've never been very interested in writing the obvious take, you know, January 6th was terrible. People that defend January 6th rioters are terrible. Like, that's to me an obvious thing to say, and I agree with it, but I, I can't do 2,000 words on it. So uh, I'm struggling to figure out what it is that people like you and me have to add to the current conversation. Well, look, I think we can go back and reiterate the big story from a political standpoint. And I think the big story is you have uh, a, a, the likelihood of a Biden versus Trump rematch. Um, a majority of Democrats do not want Joe Biden to run. They think that Joe Biden is too old. And you've got Donald Trump, who seems like he cannot lose the Republican primary and cannot win a general election. So you've got these two candidates, one who's sort of perceived as being too old and doddering to be president, and the other one who's perceived as being uh, too corrupt and, and, and morally uh, uh, whatever, um, to be president. And so that's been the state of things for a long time. I think that there was a sense maybe that a Ron DeSantis could give Trump a run for his money. Like that has not emerged. You and I, especially you, mm -hmm. you were way mm -hmm. out in front of this one <laughs> saying that DeSantis shouldn't even run that you said that what back in March, maybe April, April, April. April. Okay. Um, that is looking very prescient now. And uh, so anyway, it's it's nothing new, but I think maybe it helps to reiterate that that is kind of where the race is. No, so I have a piece coming on the monthly, uh, I think in a couple hours, um, about age, the history of age as an issue in presidential con uh, contests. And before I go like super deep into it, I mean, the basic take is that it's happened before, but we don't really have an example of an age-based attack being the thing that the election turns on. Uh, and many more cases where age attacks just didn't work and the older candidate right. won. Uh, but I want to first talk about a point you just made that polls show that most Democrats think Biden's too old and shouldn't run. And I'm not, I'm not looking at all of the data in front of me right now. Uh, I mean, you're, I think your basic point is not wrong, but I do think we need some care in the wording of these questions and not oversimplifying the, uh, what's being said. Cause I do, th I, my sense of the totality of the data is your media Democrat if they could swap out Biden for a wonderful, charismatic, younger candidate that everybody agreed upon today, they would do it. But it's not the case that they would swap Biden out for just anybody. And it's not the case that they're going to abandon Biden in a general election because of it. Uh, so... Uh, and it's also, I also don't think it's the case. I, I don't see in the polling an obvious takeaway that they're dying for a contested, protracted primary over the subject. So you're still seeing Biden beating, you know, RFK Jr., Marianne Williams very handily. Uh, even in the occasional poll that I've seen where they throw in some other random names, Biden still wins. Maybe not by as, as much, but he still wins. Uh, and he's still holding on to Democrats in general election trial heats. Now they're basically dead heats with Trump. Uh, but I don't have a lot of evidence that Democrats are peeling off and voting for Trump uh, in these in these trial heats. But the independent constituency is you know split down the middle. Um, so I am skeptical that age is going to be Biden's downfall in a general election barring some kind of episode that would really make people unsettled. Right. But I do think that is the important caveat, right? 
which is that um, Biden is a slip away from giving us that. I mean, can Joe Biden, I mean, I said like, we saw what happened with Mitch McConnell and we had this discussion last week. I, we, we touched on it. And um, look, it very well may be that McConnell re- recovers and um, he, I, he's right. As of now, he's saying he's going to, you know, stay in as uh, as the minority leader. Um, and it may be that he recovers. I don't think Joe Biden could recover from an event like that politically because uh, and, and so the question is, Democrats are making a bet. They are making a bet that Joe Biden can essentially run out the clock for the next 14 or 15 months without falling down, without an incident like that, which could be electorally. I mean, it, it would be because it would reinforce what people already think about him. Well, that's and, where I think there's a that the nervousness that you communicate. Yeah. I think I think that's what you're seeing in the polls regarding Democratic uh, support for Biden. Or when you ask yeah. the question, "Is he is he too old?" You might you'll see a majority of them say, "Yeah, I think he's too old." I think it's because of that nervousness. I don't I don't want to have to worry about that if I don't have to. And but I think the fact that Kamala Harris and look. Part of the reason that we're in this situation is that there wasn't, there's not a great candidate to run. You know, would Gavin Newsom be better than Joe Biden? I'm not sure. Would uh, Gretchen Whitmer be better than Biden? I'm not sure. Um, But I know one thing, Kamala Harris does not provide a lot of comfort. And if Biden does stumble and have some sort of scare in the next year, um, Kamala becomes a big part of the Republican strategy, I would think. I mean, we've already heard Nikki Haley. Oh, ha- Haley, Christie, uh, DeSantis, they've all at least suggested that a vote for Biden is really a vote for Kamala. I think Haley has been more flat saying it literally is, because I have a question, like, you you know he's going to die. You know, he's, there's, there's no way he lives the next term. Which is ridiculous. You can't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, and one thing that Christie and I think Haley, you have done, they'll say, look at the Social Security actuarial tables. I think it says like life expectancy is five years, something like that. But uh, the actuarial tables don't delineate between uh, race and gender. If the most recent life expectancy chart that I looked at, which was from 2020, that separate out, you know, white males, white females. At age 80, white male life expectancy is about eight years. Uh, now, look, you could, you, you could, if your tables don't determine, you know, you could die sooner, you could die later. Uh, yeah. But I do think they're using the Social Security tables to suggest Biden is like, you know, on death's door when that's not probably the accurate, you know, metric to look at, if you should really get these metrics at all. Well, and I also just think, and this, this is like the obvious, but like, it's not just Biden's age. It's that he really looks and sounds decrepit. The walking, the the talking, it's it's not good. I think it's more the talking than the walking. I mean, you know, Biden, you know, on his bicycle looks just fine. I mean, they they, they purposely put him in certain active settings and say, look, he's physically fine. You know, I, I think it was Aaron Blake at the Washington Post that did a, a poll analysis of this that said, it's not just age, it's the question of mental sharpness, which you see in poll data too, and you see a gap between Biden and Trump in, in, in terms of concern on this score. I think that is the bigger issue here. Uh, and not to say that I think Biden is not mentally sharp, but I agree that there's the perception that it's a problem because he talks, there's much more of a pronounced stammer than there had been. Uh, and there's the occasional weird moment where he looks for Jackie Warkowski and she's not alive anymore, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but as I, as I said before, Biden's always done weird stuff like that, like talking to the, to the guy in the wheelchair, you stand up. Like Biden's, uh, Biden was called, self-described as a gaff machine when he was vice president. He's always been kind of weird. Uh, sure. So when you layer onto that, 
a low energy voice with a with a increased stammer, it gives fodder for this notion that he's like literally falling apart. Which I'm not. I don't believe that's true, but I agree that there's a perception of it. Uh, yeah, and I guess all I'm saying is that if you believe that Donald Trump is this, you know, existential threat, and I think he's a very serious threat. Um, it's not a. It's not great that Democrats are essentially betting that Joe Biden can go 14, 15 months without some incident, uh, health scare. Well, and they're betting. I think the incident I think is worse than we're currently seeing. I mean, it has to be something like you know, freezing up, like Mitch McConnell did. I mean, I think something that's out of the current ordinary. I, I think if Biden is status quo from here to election day, the undercurrent of concern, I believe, would dissipate. Okay, okay, we've seen for the, the past year, he's still the same Joe Biden. I mean, this is also assuming some other things in his favor. The economy's still on a good track. We're still got positive GDP growth. Unemployment's still near record lows. Un inflation continuing to cool. Uh, if all the things are happening, and all, and the only concern is, you know, sometimes Biden, you know, uh, trips on his words. I don't think that would be enough to doom him. Yeah. Come election I'm worrying day. about him tripping on sandbags or, you know, electrical cords or something. Or, or the that. I mean, like, people, the Air Force like, One. You and I trip on cords sometimes too. Like that's I know, but if, <laughs> if he trips, uh, anyway, I, I think everyone knows where we're going with this. Look, I, I think that uh, this is what it's going to be. It's Joe Biden or bust. As, as Don Rumsfeld said, you don't go to war with the army you wish you had or that you might have. You go to war with the army that you have. That's what Democrats are going to have to do. It's going to be Joe Biden. And I just think it's very high risk. And, you know, he was able to really uh, campaign from his basement because of COVID last time. Now, it is true that uh, Donald Trump will be tied up <laughs> in uh, court, so that may help Joe Biden, but I don't think he's going to be able to um, run as passive a campaign as he did last time. And so they're betting big that that nothing happens. Well, now let, me, let me go back to my article on this subject, because we, we have examples to look at. I'm not saying they're exactly analogous to the current situation, but it's it's not unheard of to have a candidate uh, pushing the bounds of life expectancy. Uh, the first was William Henry Harrison. Uh, I mean, this, is, this is 1840. Uh, he was 67 uh, on election day, if I remember, remember correctly. Uh, and this is when life expectancy for like a 20-year-old adult was more like, you know, 60. Uh, and... Uh, they played the Democrat. The, Harrison was a Whig. Uh, Demo, there was one Democrat that said, literally, this person is not physically, mentally fit for the job. Uh, and they called him Old Granny Harrison. Uh, and you might be familiar with the uh, log cabin hard cider slogan that the Harrison campaign used. That's because a, a Baltimore Democratic publication painted this picture of Harrison uh, living alone, uh, drunk on hard cider, uh, stuck in a log cabin and like, you know, waiting to die. Uh, it was part of an aged, an ageist campaign attack that Democrats were trying to use. And the Whigs turned the tables on it and used log cabin and hard cider as proof that he was an everyman which wasn't really even true, uh, but he was the everyman of Martin Van Buren. The incumbent was this fussy dandy drinking all the this uh, high-class alcohol, not the like- Van Buren real, boys. Right, right. Not like this real man, William Henry Harrison, who was a, was a soldier faced down Native Americans and you know lives in the frontier. Uh, but most important, and I'll say one other thing, because this was an issue, Harrison's campaign brought out a physician for the first time to say his health is, is, is in good shape. And for the first time, a candidate made campaign speeches, had not been done before. But he did it to show, look, I'm here. I'm not falling apart. Uh, 
And so that helped neutralize the issue. But more importantly, the economy was terrible. There was it literally been a depression for almost the entirety of the Pamphlet administration. And that's what the election turned on. Age was not the main factor. Um, and you saw this again in 1856, James Buchanan running for an open seat as a Democrat. He was 65 years old. This was the first Republican campaign uh, with uh, John Fremont, 43-year-old soldier, explorer, had a young, sophisticated wife and with Jesse Fremont, who was the son, uh, the daughter of a uh, uh, Thomas uh, Benton. Uh, and there was a cartoon that was made that showed uh, Jesse and uh, John Fremont as the epitome of young America. And Buchanan, who was a bachelor, possibly gay, uh, as the epitome of old fogeyism. And so they drew him like this decrepit single man uh, at, a, at a table and not the vibrant soldier. John Fremont. Uh, but slavery was the issue of the campaign. And Buchanan pushed the argument that because the Republicans were strictly a northern party. And so they could not keep the union together. So they pushed the argument that a vote for Fremont was a vote for disunion. And this is the only way to keep the union together. And so and, and Buchanan was not a southerner. He was a Pennsylvania. He was able to hold on to some northern states stitch it together with the South and win, uh, have a winning coalition. Age was not the dominant factor, despite the Republican attempt to make it so. Uh, and there's other examples, FDR 1944, who was literally about to die. Uh, and there, there was a whisper campaign, but didn't, didn't stick. Eisenhower 56, had a heart attack in 55, had intestinal surgery in June 56. Stevenson, at least Stevenson, literally last day of the campaign said, a vote for Stevenson is a vote for Nixon. Just like people today are saying a vote for Biden is a vote for, vote for Harris. Now, now, you, Stevenson said a vote for Eisenhower is a vote for Nixon, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. Um, and not only did that not work, and Eisenhower beat Stevenson for the second time, another rematch case. Um, Eisenhower lived out the second term and outlived Stevenson. Um so you you can't know these things. And the, and the example you might be most familiar with, Matt, is Ronald Reagan, 84, um, where he was beating Mondale by a lot um, in the in the fall campaign. They have the first debate, and Reagan is seen as uh, not doing a great job, uh, a bit meandering, a bit disjointed. Um, and literally, there's a Democrat in the spin room that day who was asked, is Reagan too doddering to be president? And he said, well, he didn't drool. Like that's how, that's how forceful they pushed the argument uh, in the aftermath of that debate. Uh, and his poll numbers just dropped. Yeah. <clears throat> but and by the way, Bill, let's put a pin in it real quick. Is it, you just made a point that I'd bring back to this current race. Um, as I recall in the debates in 2020, Donald Trump made a huge mistake. I think it was in the first debate where Trump came on really strong and just sort of filibustered and, and, and interrupted and talked over Biden. I think if Trump had been quiet and, and let Biden talk, that would have been bad for Biden. And then I think because of uh, COVID, maybe they, they didn't have as many debates. Do you, do you recall? Did they have all three? Yeah, I don't they, think they, they did. Two. So once again, Biden sort of skated. He, he didn't have, you know, the one debate, the big story was Trump talking over him and interrupting. And Biden had a couple of good moments. But I think if Trump had just shut up and let Biden talk, that would not have been good for Biden. And then they ended up not having the third debate, I guess, because of Trump. I think Trump had COVID and he refused mm -hmm. to do it via satellite or something. So I, I, forget the, I forget the details of it. But I'm not sure that Biden can can perform in three debates against Donald Trump. Well, I don't think that's fair. I mean, I mean if, if anything, I mean, I think what happened last time, Biden goes in with these super low expectations. Uh, and I think what people want to see in that debate is, do you know what's going on around you? Are you familiar with the issues at hand? Can you handle the crisis? Or are you just reading off of note cards? And so even if he's not perfect, even if he's, even if there's a stammer there, if you're like, yeah, you got asked a question, 
that was that you didn't know what was coming and you were able to understand what the question was and give a thoughtful answer and communicate to me that you know what's going on and again assuming the economy is in a good is in good shape you know it's incumbents don't lose when the economy is okay so it'd be very unusual to say the economy is okay but i mean I mean, if literally is like if he's falling apart in front of you and like doesn't know what up or down, maybe it's a different story. But if it's like, okay, I know what's going on. I can talk about inflation and GDP and Ukraine and the environment, um, and you know the the ship is going in the right direction. It's it would be really striking to me that just because he was like not great uh, at, at being articulate, that that would be enough to want to go back to the guy you fired four years ago because of how bad things were. Yeah, I've said it before, but watching Biden in a situation like that is sort of like when I used to be a Washington Redskins fan, you know, <clears throat> decades after <clears throat> decades after their glory years um, and like RG3 is in and you're like kind of you're rooting for the team to not like for RG3 to not get killed. And if they make a short pass, you know, a completion, you're like, impressed like wow i made a five-year pass <laughs> you know like like anytime they don't fumble the ball uh it's a win and that's but hey you know sometimes you can win a game that way it's not yeah. pretty it's not fun to watch but sometimes you can run out the clock so well that's um, right yeah I mean, it, was, it was liam donovan who said on twitter um several months ago uh you know biden's like the 45-year-old junk ball pitcher that everyone thinks is washed up, but you still can't get a good hit off of him. So it, it might be like that. Uh, but I want to go back to Reagan. For Have you watched the, those Reagan debates from 84? Yes, of course. I'm not going to make age an issue. <laughs> I'm not going to for... Uh, was it? I'm not, not going to... not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. That was it. That was it. Great line. But I find Mondale laugh. Yeah, he did. Um, genuinely. Um, what I find fascinating about those two debates is when I watch the first bit, I I'm like, Reagan seems okay. Um, like I, when I, I was, I was expecting to be like completely like detached from reality. Like, like he's not great. It's not his best performance. He was, but he was chock full of facts and figures. I mean, there, there's an argument yeah. that he was sort of over-prepared. Yeah. And, very defensive about his record. And I think as we know now, it is very common for the incumbent to have a bad first debate because Obama. he's defensive about his record. Obama, yeah. Jimmy Carter. Uh, I, well, Jimmy Carter only had one debate, unfortunately, for him. Right, that's right. If he um, had two, maybe it would have gone George H.W. Bush did not have good debates. Uh, George W. Bush did not have good debates. Um uh, so that, that, the, cause you're in a position where you got to, you, you don't get to just attack the other guy. You have a record to defend, which is inherently imperfect. And so it's an, it's an automatically, uh, disadvantageous position to be in. Um, but, and Reagan had that high expectation. I, this guy filleted Carter four years ago. This guy's the great communicator and what he's not amazing now. Uh, so that was a factor in it. And like, there's some parts where like he, um, I think towards the end where he kind of, you know, trails off and it's not a crisp answer, but it's well sure of like, this guy's got Alzheimer's in my, in my opinion. Um, and in the second debate, so, no, so, so, you know, so his numbers drop in the interim, but you're talking like in the New York times poll from 26 point lead to 13 point lead. Like it was never close. It was, and it was more that Mondale was consolidating his base than Reagan was really dropping a level of support. It's a little bit of a drop, but not. But he, he was still over fifty percent in the, of the polls that I saw. Um, and then the second debate, what really struck me with the second debate before that great line, which became the story. The, the the first debate was all domestic policy, and the second was all foreign policy. And when the first, I think, I think it was the first question was a recent scandal that there was a manual in Nicaragua that the CAA spread around to the Contras, encouraging them to, to assassinate Sandinista leaders and even kill fellow Contras and uh, make them to be martyrs. Uh, 
And so he was asked, like, uh, we, uh, how, what do you say about this, this manual? And Reagan says, we've opened an investigation. Uh, there was this draft manual that was given to our, our agency head in Nicaragua. And the agency head excised pages. But somehow 12 of the original copies got distributed. And we're investigating to find out what happened. Which, which in and of itself is not like a super great answer. And then, then he's, he gets a follow-up and he says, this is like right at the top of the debate. I'm afraid I misspoke. We don't have an agency head of Nicaragua directing activities there. And I'm like, this is, this is a massive gaffe. At the beginning of this debate, we're already, these concerns about age and competency are in the air. I mean, and Mondale's approach to all this from the first debate was to suddenly say that the president has to know. The president has to know these details to govern effectively. He went back to that phraseology repeatedly in the second debate. Uh, But then that line happens and it's completely washed away. So in my opinion, it's not like he was like, Overall, he wasn't all that much better in the second debate. He was still defensive. He was still awkward. It still wasn't like the the Reagan you know. But like, but that moment was such a good moment that it didn't matter. And I think more importantly, he was winning anyway. I, I, I don't. There's no real. I mean, yes, it narrowed, but he was still leading by double digits going into that second debate. It was a game yeah, and, and, economy. And to your yeah, and, and that's exactly what I was going to say. To your larger point, the economy had rebounded uh, and was doing great at that point. So look, how much of this is the media, just the media setting a narrative like, oh, the second debate was Reagan's comeback because he had a funny line about his age. Well, there was a narrative in between the two debates. The Democrats pushed and and because there was some narrowing the polls, the media glommed onto it. uh, And the whole thing, arguably, is just narrative and not really indicative of what was happening on the ground, which is that most people want to stick with the incumbent because the economy was good. Um, now, I, I, there are other examples I can point to where there were aged attacks from the winner. Um, uh, Clinton Bush, Clinton Dole, Obama McCain. Uh, I mean, Clinton pegged Bush and Dole as being out of touch both times. Um, Dole tried to, you know, Dole was in his, Dole was the first candidate ever in his 70s. Slightly different though, right? Slightly different. I don't think there was any allegation that George H.W. Bush wasn't uh, fit mentally or physically. It was just a sense that it's it's time to build a bridge to the 21st century, right? It was but, it was a but, generation, more of a generational. Was a, but he, I mean, Bush was older. He was in his 60s. It was but in his it, 40s. But it um, had to do with Bush being out of touch, not Bush, not Bush being unfit or or in. It was, you know. it was not unfit, but it was it was out of touch, out of ideas, out of time, stale, failed rhetoric from the past. Yes, uh, and. And Dole was also uh, Dole had tried to turn around in his convention. I mean, I want to be a bridge to the time of of tranquility uh, and decency. And Clinton was like, I want to build a bridge to the past. I want to build a bridge to the future. Uh, yeah. And there was and even before that point, like every late night comic was doing Dole age jokes. I mean, it was it was in the air the whole time whether the Democrats wanted and, to be or not. And Dole was probably a lot younger than Trump or Biden, right? I mean, not, not a lot. I mean, Dole was 72, 73. Was he really? Yeah. Okay. And didn't Dole, didn't Dole actually fall off the stage as well? At that some happened, point? I think that happened in the primary, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, and then Obama McCain, I remember the ad that Obama ran where McCain admits he doesn't know how to use a computer or send an email. Um, uh, and then he doesn't understand the economy. Like they, they conflated those things. The thing with all those three cases, Bush, Dole, and, and McCain, is that they made these old out-of-touch attacks, but it was tied into the economy. And the economy was working for the Democratic candidate in all those three elections. So it was kind of gilding the lily to throw age on top of it. So I, I still don't have any example in history where a candidate would have won, should have won, if not for age. 
Yeah. And look, Biden, you say, well, it's different. Biden is the oldest ever. Biden's over 80. Biden has these these episodes that are, are nerve wracking. It's a 24-7 media culture. He can't hide. Maybe. I mean, I, I'm not, I can't make a flat prediction that this will be the exception to the rule. Uh, but we do have other... I, I do think that there was one quote in a Wall Street Journal article that, that discussed this was based off their poll. Well, they talked to one Democrat who said, hey, I, I, I'm a Democrat. I, I wish we would do a different nominee. But if it's Biden, Trump, 100% Biden. I mean, which stands to reason. If you're satisfied with the record, you're going to stick with the incumbent even if you have certain concerns. And, yeah. the, and the, the, cha- the bigger challenge for Biden is to get inflation to continue going down and keep the economy on track so you're, more people are satisfied yeah. with the record. I think that's well, the bigger look. issue. Look, we're we're so polarized and Trump is so bad that there's not a lot of voters like there may. Okay, I'm sure there are a lot of Democrats who say Biden's too old. I wish he wasn't so old, but they'll never vote for Trump. So I think I would just concede from the very beginning um, that most people are like locked in, like there are people who will never vote for Trump. And there are people who will never vote for Biden. But because the last two elections have been decided by just tens of thousands of votes in three or four states, the and, and because the stakes are so high, right, with with Trump being so bad. Um, and obviously, if you're a, you know, a conservative Republican, uh, the idea that Joe Biden might get two Supreme Court nominees, mm-hmm. possibly, uh, you know, in a second term, something like that is, is a big deal. So the stakes are super high. And uh, I think it's just it's the, the voters who voted for Trump in 2016 and then switched to Biden in 2020. What are they going to do um, right now? I think most of them stick with Biden, but. He's got he's got to hold it together for another year. Um, I know we've talked about this for a long time. And there's one other thing that we want to talk about, which was this Mike Pence address trying to bring some substance to the Republican primary debate and say there's a, this is a time for choosing for Republicans, riffing off of Reagan's time for choosing when, during the Goldwater-Johnson uh, election. And the Republicans have to choose between populism and conservatism. Uh, uh, and I know, Matt, I know where you fall in this argument. You want traditional conservatism. You don't want right-wing populism. Uh, you don't want Trumpian populism. Uh, and <clears throat> Uh, well, I, th- I think, Bill, I also think that in a way, so first of all, as you know, I'm I'm on the conservative, limited government, freedom conservative side of this. But in a way, by casting it as, you know, Reagan versus populism, I think that in a way is, is not the best contrast. I mean, a lot of the things that I think Pence is concerned about. I, you know, I, I've, I've not seen the full speech, but I've seen, you know, read excerpts and, and seen, there's a part where Pence talks about how Donald Trump wanted to like suspend the constitution. And then there's a P there's a part where it seems like Pence is referring to like Ron DeSantis wanting to use the power of government to um, uh, punish political adversaries. That was my interpretation. I don't think that's populism. I mean, populism is like tariffs or, you know, uh, ethanol subsidies, right? Not great. I'm not for those things. But I think it's more um, authoritarianism, nationalism. Well, should should Pence have framed this differently? Should Pence have said, we're in a fight between conservatism and authoritarianism or conservatism and Trumpism. Uh, I mean, I think so. I think so. I don't think people are that afraid of populism. Populism's popular, right? right. That's where the name I comes mean, from. It, it's, it's, it, it does seem like more of an academic debate uh, using terminology that insiders use to define these groups, not terminology that regular Americans use. Yeah. Um, and I, I understand why Pence would might be afraid to go after Trumpism, because this is what's bedeviling all these candidates. Most Republicans like Trump, and so that's not necessarily uh, a winning label to use as a negative. Uh, and they might also be offended if you equate what 
Trump stands for or what the Santa stands for is authoritarianism. But I do think that speaks to what the real debate is. And he's fighting uphill anyway. Yeah. Uh, well, the other thing, too, is, you know, Mike Pence has, you know, I think Kevin Williamson has some formulation to mock Pence. And I don't remember how he put it, but it was something like he was OK with the guy trying to overturn the election until January 6th or you know, something like that. Right. Like Donald Trump did a lot of bad things for four years, including populism. Like, if you're against populism, then why did you run as Donald Trump's vice president and support him for four years? Because populism is not the worst thing he did during that time, but he certainly did it. I mean, he has had this political worldview. And it, so it seems weird also that Pence is now. I'm glad someone is, is trying to have a, a substantive policy critique, but it also seems weird that. Pence is picking now as a time to uh, to draw the line in the sand philosophically. Well, he's got to do something. I mean, obviously, uh, and all these guys, have, I mean, I, I at least give him credit for trying to do something big to reframe the race because uh, a status quo campaign is, is just going into the, the ditch. Um, but because I mean, I, this is what I've said about DeSantis before, uh, why his campaign was floundering. I mean, the number one issue of the race still is Trump or not Trump. And like Pence's approach, like gets close to that, but doesn't quite go all the way. Uh, and therefore, uh, it's hard to rally. I mean, you, you have to make a case to both rally the people who are currently against Trump and convince the soft Trump that you're yeah. on the wrong team. You're well, going you're going in a bad path. I just don't think disagreeing with someone over trade policy um is a big enough reason to fire someone who is ostensibly the incumbent or to turn on them. Right? I mean fundamentally you could argue that like limited government conservatism is about things like the rule of law and the constitution that's not against populism. That's against authoritarianism. A big government, you know, crony capitalism. I think there are worse things that Trump is guilty of that that take on a more pressing moral component than like populism. And by the way, let me just say this. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a populist, but I actually think that, uh, and, and, and look, I think populism, the problem with populism is that it tends to metastasize into all sorts of bad things, including eventually like anti-Semitism, you know, mm -hmm. against the globalists and mm -hmm. all that. So I don't like populism, but I, I think that the way forward is probably for the future Republican Party to be a hybrid that is more populist than I prefer. And I think we could live with a more populist uh, party. I don't think that's the end of the, I don't think that, to me, the problem is fascism, authoritarianism, nationalism, xenophobia, like all these things are much bigger problems. And I think Pence is actually getting to those things without using those words, those terms. Now, I don't know if you saw the CNN poll that came out today um, that tested Biden against several Republican candidates. And, you know, Trump beats Biden by one. Biden to Sanders is a tie. Biden beats Ramaswamy by one. Ramaswamy is the only person that Biden actually is a little bit ahead of. Nikki Haley beats Biden by six in this poll. Uh, the best of them all. Uh, and if you look at at least uh, some, uh, some of the uh, primary polling, I think Haley generally, like now, she tends to poll more uh, five and up, not 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 strictly, um, but she's getting more in that second tier range out of the, out of the basement, which you know again, it, it's hardly enough this to truly call it a surge. Yeah, um, 
But I, but I think in New Hampshire, right? Isn't she overtaking DeSantis and Christie in New Hampshire? I think I saw uh, that. I mean, there, might, there might be one poll where that was the case. I mean, look, I'm just looking quickly here. Um, if she is, I'm not. I don't know which poll it, it is. Yeah, yes. um, but uh, uh, Realtor doesn't always have them all uh, in in their database. Um, but I'm, I'm, you're probably right that there's at least one poll out there where that's the case. Um, I'm sure she's going to blitz the media in the next 24, 48 hours with Nikki Haley is the best chance to be Biden based on this one poll. And even that's not backed up by other polls. Like she's going to milk it as, as hard as she can. Uh, are you surprised that she's the one that seems to be getting the most oxygen out of the last debate? And can she actually build on it going forward? Yes and no. Um, when I watched the debate, you know, I thought Nikki Haley, <clears throat> she definitely won the Matt Lewis debate. Okay. Mm-hmm. She impressed, like, so what I heard, and so I think that what she did was bring, sort of consolidate or begin to, not consolidate, but begin to consolidate the anti Trump vote. So Chris Christie could have had a great night, but he didn't. He had an okay night. Ron DeSantis did not have a great night. Nikki Haley did. So she was the one the one sort of non-MAGA candidate, right? Um, Vivek, my guess coming out of the debate was that Vivek won it, not because I thought he won it, but because I thought he was uh, the kind of candidate that Republicans would like and um, that he dominated. He was in the center of all of all the, the fights. So I think Nikki Haley had a great debate. And... Um, I think that the elect I think the electability issue is the issue. Well, it's it's not a slam dunk. It's the only chance that that someone other than Trump has. If you want to beat Trump, I think the only the only possible way to beat him is the electability issue. And it has not worked yet. Well, what's what's hard is you can't argue that Trump's a sure loser yes. based on available poll data. Yep. It's a dead heat with Biden. And you can plausibly argue that a dead heat nationally is a, is a Trump electoral college win. I don't I don't think it's that simple, but you certainly can make the argument. Um, and so uh, that. For Haley to do best, I don't think it's sufficient to get Trump fans worried that their guy can't get the job done because they believe Biden is dead man walking and that Trump can can take him out very, very easily. I think that that sums up why this is almost mission impossible. I mean, what I'm saying is this is the best argument anyone can make and the most compelling argument. And you're pointing out, yeah, it's not really that clear even that it's not right. slam dunk at all. So um, that, that in a nutshell is the, like the fundamental problem that these candidates face. But even if Bill, I, I, I remember in 2016, as I recall, there was polling that showed uh, Rubio beating Hillary and Hillary beating Trump. And obviously that was not enough. Uh, the voters didn't prioritize electability. And so, but I still think it's the only game in town if you're Nikki Haley. And I, I think she needs to shout this from the rooftops. Uh, I just think it's fascinating that she's getting any bump out of this after. I mean, she's the one person that said climate change is real. Um, she was the clearest, I mean, she had sort of a muddled abortion response, but it was, it was more towards, Hey, hey kids, we're not going to ban abortion nationally. Um, we're going to have to do some kind of compromise. Um, you know, these aren't the things that would normally give you any kind of traction in a Republican primary. And maybe the people aren't really focusing on them so much, just more that she came across more, uh, poised and strong in the face of uh, Vivek's blustering, that that was more important than any specific line of position that she took. Hasn't Trump demonstrated that issues don't matter and that orthodoxy is dead? It matters if you're tough, if you're eloquent, if you are quick in a debate. And she was all of those things. She looked strong. Um, and also, look, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis have already cornered the market 
of people who care about some of these issues. Nikki needs Nikki needs to consolidate everybody else first. That's step number one. And I think she made a step in doing that at that debate. If she strings together a few more performances like that. Now, what I wonder about is her undermining it by going on Fox News and kind of doing these cheap gimmicks, right, about Kamala Harris and things like that. We should probably wrap it up, Bill. Sure. Um, um, anything you want to plug? Um, probably should have plugged this last week, but I can still plug today. So the Washington Monthly does an annual uh, college guide with its own rankings. Uh uh, so it's a counterpoint to the to the U.S. news rankings, and the Washington Monthly College rankings focus more on the value of the college degree. What colleges are the best bang for the buck? What colleges uh, give low income students a leg up, uh, and so they can be uh, higher earners when they get out? Um, so it's a it's a very uh, fascinating uh, uh, approach. It's also chock full of articles talking about these issues and how to make college a more rewarding experience. Uh, so I recommend highly to all those articles up on the WashingtonMonthly.com website. And, and I just, I believe my article on age and presidential contests is, is live now as well. Very cool. Uh, keep reading me at The Beast. Keep checking out my podcast, Matt Lewis and the News. And uh, check us out on Twitter, uh, X, I don't know. We are at DMZ Show. Where are we on Threads? Do we have a DMZ Threads account? We're we're not on Threads yet. You and I are on Threads individually. You and I are. Maybe have we been, can. Have you been posting on Threads? I don't, I, haven't, I don't think I've seen much from you. No, I was on Threads. I I, I liked it. Um, and then my book was poised to come out, and I threw everything into that, and very much focused on Twitter, where I had a much bigger audience, and I have not really been back to threads bill since then so come 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 back we gotta, we gotta make threads happen all right let's do it we'll see you back here in the dmz next week all right take care Peace.